0: If we believe that God is good, God is good. If we believe that God is the good shepherd, he is the good shepherd. And he will take care of that. And this is why I think this morning, the text that we're going to be in is so fitting for us as we start to look at this. You know, how do we see Jesus? And where is Jesus in the center of not just this, but in our own lives? And that's why I love the letter of Colossians, because in this letter, Paul has been communicating to the church over and over and over and over that no matter what happens on the outside, no matter what happens externally, it's about Jesus. He is the center. He is the preeminent one. He sustains all things. He sustains everything, all of our plans, all of our decisions. He realigns those things and he always leads us to good. And that's what Paul was trying to communicate to this church in Colossae as we discovered from the beginning of this sermon series, that this church heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ through Epaphras, who heard the gospel through Paul in preaching in Ephesus. An early church, a young church, started to follow Jesus, and they're loving Jesus. He's the center of everything. They understand that it was just him. He's the one who made them alive. It had nothing to do with them. It was all him. And the next thing you know, outside influence, outside voices start coming in and say, listen, yeah, I'm glad you love Jesus and all that. I'm glad that you gave your life to him. But listen, are you circumcised? Do you eat certain foods? Do you follow certain rituals and religious observance days and celebrations and festivals? Do you have these crazy spiritual visions of angels and all these things? Because if you don't, you're missing out. And Paul's like, listen, don't let them intimidate you. Don't let them judge you or don't let them disqualify you from anything on the outside. It's simply Jesus. He's the one. He's all you need. And church, it is so good for us to hear that this morning. It's good for us to hear this every single day. And so what we're going to discover this morning in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, we're going to see Paul talk about a same message but in a different angle. He's going to talk to them again about the centrality of Jesus and the importance of Jesus. But no longer is he like encouraging them and reminding them of their identity. Now he's going to say, listen, because you've been rattled, because there are things on the outside that are starting to make you shift that might be taking your focus off of where Jesus is and who Jesus is and you're getting distracted by external things, we need to hit the reset button. And that's what Paul is going to talk about this morning. So let's read this together in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we do come. We come with our distractions. We come with the things that preoccupy us. We come with our pride. We come with our insecurities. We come mixed bag and all. We come with emotions that are maybe, like, just upheaved. Lord, I ask that this morning, wherever we are at, where, whatever is stirring in our hearts and our minds, Lord, I pray that there's a hard reset that would happen inside of us and that we would collectively, as a church, turn our eyes to Jesus, trusting him, our good shepherd. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with technology. Anyone? Like, I I, I love it. Like, I love all the gadgets. I love all the opportunities that technology has to offer. But I'm, I'm not technologically savvy. I'm actually really technologically dumb. You know, so it's like you would think just because of my age that I would figure it out. But I really have no clue. And there's two devices that basically rule our lives that give me the greatest trouble. Laptop and the iPhone or whatever smartphone you have. You know, so my problem is is that like I, I just tend to when I'm working on my laptop, I just kinda have like multiple files open. I got multiple things kind of downloading. I got my Spotify streaming. I got my Bible app running. I got all, all these things that are just open. And the next thing you know is like my computer starting to chug a little bit. It's like slowing down. And then that little like circle thing that kind of goes like this that lets you know it's loading. I don't even know what it's called, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dumb when it comes to this. Like it just sits there and it frustrates me. And so every now and then, like, when the computer seems to freeze, I, I do something that you're not supposed to do, but for some reason I'm convinced that it would work if I would just do this and the computer would interpret that I'm frustrated and it would say, I'm sorry, let me speed up. And so I would do what you're not supposed to do and start hitting a bunch of buttons really hard. Anybody ever do that? Right? You're like, just, dumb thing. And you're thinking, like, why do you do that? It's like, do you think that's actually going to work? Like, more often than not, when I do that, my computer freezes. And so, like, I remember one time it got really bad, and I had to call up my buddy, um, who is, like, a tech guy. He's totally smart. He talks a total different language. Every now and then he throws out ones and zeros. I'm like, okay, whatever, you're a nerd. And so I called him up, and I started asking him. He started to assess the situation. And he basically, he asked me one question that completely embarrassed me. He's like, have you ever downloaded any programs or apps from websites that said maybe not a trusted source? To which I was like, No, yes. You know, and so basically the solution was you need to do a hard reset on your computer. And a hard reset is basically you're restoring, you're wiping your laptop clean all the way back to its factory settings. And I started thinking about that. I was like, that is so true in our lives spiritually, There's so many times where we get it, like when we start to follow Jesus, especially when you're first saved, you go, man, it's by grace I've been saved, through faith, it's not by me, he made me alive, he did this, I did nothing, he pursued me, he loved me. But then somehow, someway in in our walk with Jesus, something starts to happen. Maybe our eyes get preoccupied with other things and it's a subtle little piece. Maybe it's money. Like we start to go, oh, I don't have enough money. Or maybe you start to want certain things. How many of you, feel extremely anxious, and you start to worry a lot when certain bills show up in your house? You're lying. So no one in this room worries financially, ever. Okay, you should give more. Let me help you with that. No, just kidding. No, but seriously, you should. No, just kidding. Like, like you, the things, like you just start to get a little bit of a shift, a little bit off. And next thing you know, you're preoccupied with so many different things. And you start to look at your own spiritual life. And it's not working or it's not producing the fruit that you think it should be. But the reality is, there's so much clutter going on. Or maybe, just like uh, we talked about last week, that you slipped into the side of legalism. Right, You wanted to follow Jesus, you understood it was grace, it had nothing to do with you, but for some reason, over time, because we become sophisticated Christians, that we start to think it's based upon how much Bible I know, or how much Scripture I study, or how many times I journal, or how long my quiet time is, or how many times I go to church, all these types of things, and we start to equate this as of like, if I read enough, God will love me. If I give enough, God will love me. How do I know if I've done enough good works, and this and that? And next thing you know, you go... This is not the life that I'm meant to be living. This is not what the Bible talks about. Paul's like, you're right, you need a hard reset. And folks, God's grace is here today that no matter where you are at right now, his grace right now says you can have a reset. You can hit that, you can remove all the distractions, and you can start fresh with him. And that's beautiful because that's exactly what Paul is getting at this morning. Look at this in verse one of chapter three. If you have been raised with Christ, I want us to stop right there. Because Paul, what he's doing, he's being rhetorical. Because he's already talked to them in chapters 1 and 2 about who they are. You have been, you died with Christ, you identified with Christ, you were buried with Christ, you were risen with Christ, and now you're walking in new life with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, which is meant to give the the person hearing this, they're like, yes, I have been. But I need you just to slow down. And I want you to think about that. If you've been raised with Christ, what should be different in your life? How should you be living right now if you've been raised with Christ, which implies that your old life, the sin, has been dead. You've died with Christ on the cross, the old life is buried, and there is a, se- a major divorce, a major separation from the old to the new. If you've been raised with Christ, what should be different? That's a powerful thought. He wants to remind us, like, listen, you've got to remember who you are. You have everything you need in Jesus. You are complete in Jesus. You've been made alive with him. You were dead in your sins. He made you alive. He's made you full. You are complete and there's nothing that you can add and there's nothing that you can do to take that away. If you've been raised with Christ, powerful thought. Listen. If you've been raised with Christ, it doesn't mean that your life is just slightly better. Because some people think that Christianity just means you behave better. That all of a sudden you become morally excellent. Good Boy Scout or Girl Scout. That it's just a better quality of life. That's not what a Christian is. The Christian is a fundamental drastic shift, a major change. The old is gone. The old life is gone. And when you died and were buried, that is left to sit there, and now you are a new creation. Not just slightly better not just by some degree, by some alteration, you are a new creation, completely new. You are transformed. You are made alive in Christ. You are dead to the old. The world has no control on you at all. And so when Paul is saying to us, if you've been raised with Christ, you've got to understand, you have everything you need. You are a brand new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it's not by you, and you cannot maintain it by what you do. It's by grace, and it will always be by grace. It's about Jesus. And this is why we need a hard reset, because we can get ourselves so off-kiltered so many times and in so many ways. And that's why Paul here starts to say this, okay? It's like, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been, seek the things that are above. If you are alive and if you have this new life in Christ, you need to seek the things that are above where Christ is. What Paul's going to do is so powerful. He's going to let them know in four verses how central Jesus is Look at this, you've been raised with Christ. He's going to say where Christ is, hidden with Christ. When Christ comes, you're going to be with him in glory. In four verses, he's like, listen, it's all about him. Everything encompasses around him. He speaks in the past tense. You've been raised with Christ, right? That's the past tense. It's already done. And then he's going to talk about your present reality right now. You are hid in Christ in God. And then he's going to talk about your future life. When Christ comes, you're going to appear with him, now as a believer, you cannot get away from Jesus. He, he encompasses everything, your past, present, future. Everything is there. If you've been raised, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Now, this does not mean that you're going to sit in the closet and go through this aesthetic or um, asceticism that Paul already talked about, like you're going to fast for days and you've got to go on this major spiritual scavenger hunt that it maybe, just maybe, if you do enough spiritual things and you deny yourself enough things, that you will finally encounter Jesus. That's not what Paul is saying. This word, seek the things that are above, In the Greek, it's painting the picture of saying, orientate your life all around Jesus. When it says the things that are above, it's not talking about imagining heaven, trying to think about what the life is going to be like when you die. The things that are above is meant to help us understand where Jesus is now seated. Seek the things that are above. In other words, focus everything you got on where Jesus is. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's not pacing, he's not worrying, he's calm, he's collected, there's power. We are alive in him, we are complete with him. Everything in your life, every ethic, every decision, every choice, everything, you seek him. And this word seek is a powerful word. It's preoccupied. Be completely preoccupied with Jesus, which begs the question, what are you preoccupied with right now? What's causing anxiety inside of you right now? What is grabbing your attention more often than not right now? I got two images that come to mind with preoccupation. One is my dog, my dog tug. My dog is completely preoccupied with a tennis ball. That tennis ball is always near him. It's always in his mouth. He will lay with the tennis ball. He will sit with the tennis ball. He will sleep with the tennis ball in his mouth, and he'll bring it to you, and you, you don't want to touch that thing. It is nasty, but like, he'll bring it to you, and he doesn't even understand the game fetch. Like He doesn't get it. He'll drop it, and he'll just stare at it. And then he'll look at you, right back at the ball, as if he wants you to get the ball. Then when you go to get the ball, he just takes it. He's completely preoccupied. It has his, all of his attention. It's like Everything about him is fixated on that tennis ball. Now, here's a bad example of being preoccupied. Every Thursday, for the most part, are date nights for my wife and I. And date nights are opportunities for us to get away, to, especially from our kids. We love our kids, but it's good to have a date night and get away from the kids and connect, to talk. They get intimate I mean, like, in conversation. And like, <laughs> it's date night and I'm married. Deal with it. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> okay. Anywho. Focus. 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 So one date night, we it was I got to choose kind of where to go, and I chose Buffalo Wild Wings. How many of you are familiar with Buffalo Wild Wings? okay? Like, that was kind of like maybe the first or second time I've been there, and I forgot that every wall is um, a TV with sports, and I'm a bit of a sports fanatic, and we were going to talk seriously. And so, like, let's just put it this way. I didn't know that one of my favorite sports teams were on the TV, and we're talking, and I kept going like this. Mm -hmm. The next thing you know, um, trust me, there was a hard reset that happened, and I learned to be preoccupied right back on. Seek the things that are above. It's that phrase. It's like, listen, you got to remove all of the distractions. All the other things that distract you. And this is grace. Because Paul knew. He's speaking to a church that was distracted. He was like, listen, we've got to get you back in line. Do not change how you started. Focus on the things that are above. Everything about you should be oriented on Jesus because he's all you need. Be obsessed with him. This makes total sense. We were taught to pray this. When you pray, you pray, Father in heaven. Like, you immediately are focused on him. In Matthew 6, we're talking about, like, the life of a disciple. Jesus is saying, like, why do you worry about what you're going to eat? Why do you worry about, you know, the money? Why do you worry about what you're going to wear? He's like, listen, the world goes after these things. But you, you seek first the kingdom. A kingdom implies there's a king, and we know who the king is. Amen? It's Jesus. And he says, you seek first the kingdom, and then what? All else will be added. In other words, all else will basically take care of itself. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. This preoccupation with Jesus does not mean that we're escaping this world. It doesn't mean that we're going to become bomb shelter Christians and just isolate ourselves. It doesn't mean that. It just means that as we're preoccupied with Jesus, we're going to be going, what would Jesus do in these situations? How would Jesus respond in this situation? How would Jesus give in this situation? How would Jesus serve in this situation? What would he be doing? It's getting concerned about what he's concerned about. We're here on earth Not to be caught up in these spiritual experiences. We are here on earth, folks, on a mission to tell people about Jesus. And so if we're going to seek the things above, guess what? We're the ambassadors. That means we're going to be taking things from there down to here and letting people know that there's a Savior who loves them. That's what we're called to do. But he continues, verse 2. Then he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Again, this is a great reset. Simple question to ask. What do you set your mind on? This word set is you fixate. It's like you determine the course and where that, that setting is, that's where you're going to be heading towards. Is that image of Navigation. And so when he says, you set your mind on the things that are above, that means like, that is my focal point. That's where I'm heading. Because here's what's true. Your life and the direction of your life will follow exactly where your mind is set. So look at your life. What is your life producing? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, the joy and the freedom? Or is it the things of this world and the earth and the anxiety and the anxiousness and the pride? It may be trapped in sin and things like that. You've got to ask yourself these questions. What is my mind set on? If it's not set on the things above, you get the time, the grace to hit reset right now. I mean, this is what Paul, he hits on. He's like, listen, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, you've got to renew your mind so you no longer conform to the ways of this world. It's like you're all together different. Church, hear me. If you do not change what you are seeking, or if you do not change the direction of where your mind is set, you're going to default to the old life all the time. And the old life will always be determined by your pride or your insecurities. Period. Nothing else ever. Ever. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. How do you know where your mind and heart are set? Listen to the words that come out. Because Jesus was clear. uh, The words of your mouth reveal the heart. This is a beautiful grace. This is is grace. This isn't like, come on, guys. This is God like saying, listen, this is a great opportunity just to go, boom. Redirect, refocus, reset. In Romans chapter 8, Paul, he says it this way in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, for those who live according to the old ways, in other words, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But here's the contrast. If you've been raised with Christ, here's where your mind should be set. For, For those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And this changes the direction and the output of our lives. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 4, think about what is lovely, admirable, pure, and trustworthy, and whole. Think about these things. That's not like positive mental attitude, like just trying to make yourself think better. This is like, think about the things of Jesus. Think about the fact that he's seated and he's in control, he's sovereign, he's the good shepherd, and that he can only lead to life. That's who he is. He can only do good. He will forever be faithful. He will forever love you. Think about those things and set your mind on that and your life will follow. Set your mind that's a command. That's for our good. In verse three, he continues. He says, "For you have died." It's like as just in case you forgot already. In these quick two verses, like you've been raised. For you have died. Like it, that's over. Done, buried, gone. For you have died. You're died to your sin. You've died to the ways of this world and you've died to the the powers that Satan would have, gone. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul, in Galatians 6, I love the way this guy writes. Far be it from me, in 6.14 he says, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. I'm going to boast about the crucifixion of Jesus. Like, that's a a public shameful act, crucifixion. He's like, I'm going to boast in that because I know the reality of what that has done for me. He says, because through that, the world, the world and all of its demands and all of its regulations and all of the things, it's been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. In other words, I am now fully alive to love God. So, church, listen. What in your life do you need to put to death? You have the power and the ability and the freedom to put sin to death. That is your right. What are you keeping alive? What are you entertaining? What are you flirting with? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. This this picture of being hidden with Christ is, is one of the most beautiful pictures of our eternal security in Jesus. There is nothing that you can do to ever separate you from the love of God. If that doesn't excite you, my goodness, okay? Like, you gotta think about that, like, Will sin, will death, will this or that, will powers or principalities, will uh, an economy that tanks? Like, what happens in the next presidential campaign? Let's not talk about that. Like, what would happen? Like, can we just, nothing will ever separate you ever from the love of God. Ever. A few weeks ago I said something that I know rattled some cages, and I'm going to say it again. If you were to stop reading your Bible altogether, listen, God's going to love you the same. You are eternally secure. In John 10, verse 28, 29, it, Jesus painted this picture saying, it's like, I'm in the Father's hand. Like, you're in my hands, and I'm not going to let you go. And, my, and the Father is like over me. Like, you are completely secure. And so the way I envision this is, is, is just this picture of like a dad standing in front of his children. Saying, oh, you, you want to get to them? You got to get through me. Like, that's the picture I have because, like, I do that with my kids. Like, if I feel like there's a threat around, I will, like, just get it in front of my kids. Like, you are hidden in Christ. That is your position right now. Beautiful. When Christ, verse 4 who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When he comes, you're going to be right there with him. And all that you are will be revealed at that moment. And you will be with them forever. But what I want to focus on is this line, this little phrase who is your life? Who is your life? Listen, if you are a believer, your life is not your own. He's redeemed you, He's bought you with His blood. And the best life that we could ever have is living for him. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. My life right now, everything about me, because my past, my present, and my future is all wrapped up in him. I am hidden in him. Like, I have died with him. I was buried with him. I rose again with him. And now I'm walking a new life with him. And when he comes, I'm going to be with him, with him, for him, by him. He's my life. Everything in my life is him. If you want to boast in this life, you're not going to boast about what you have achieved. You're not going to boast about your riches. You're not going to boast in your portfolio. You're not going to boast by the fact that when you're in high school you are a great football player. Like you're not going to boast about any of those things. The Bible says if you're going to boast, boast about this that you know God. Boast in the cross. Your life is his. So, here's a really painfully obvious point. I wrote this, and when I wrote it down, I thought it was really clever. But then when I kept reading it, I'm like, that is so painfully obvious. So here it is. Humor me. Just go, wow, Brandon, you're smart. Okay? Make me feel better. Life is ultimately what you are alive to. Yeah. Yeah. Make that a bumper sticker. <laughs> World changing, right? But like, think about this, okay? Life is ultimately what you are alive to. In other words, like, what, what like, gets your heart beating? Like, what wakes you up, for lack of better words? I never understood, before I had kids, I never understood why parents spelt words. I never understood it until I had kids. And, and, and part of it was, so, true story. I'm not good with spelling. I can't spell words and and so when my wife would try to spell a word, it took me a while. I'd be like, uh so like I remember like a few times we'd be in the van. This was before our kids were smart enough to be able to understand a spelling. Uh, some of us 38 years later still can't, but nonetheless, like, we'll be talking about what we're going to do and the plans and all this kind of stuff, and, like, for instance, there'll be a moment where maybe my wife will spell a word to me, and she'll be like, okay, maybe after we do this, we, we can go get i I'm like, I see ice cream, you know, it's just like, it's like, you know, and the kids, like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they go, ice cream, It's like that little thing made them alive all of a sudden. Like, you could talk about eating vegetables, and they're still dead to the world. You talk about ice cream, it's like, boom. This is the thought. It's like what you are alive to, like what you you live for makes you alive. It's that idea. It's like, okay, if Christ is your life, folks, when you get the opportunity to talk about Jesus, it should make you alive. Like, you should be excited and passionate. Like, when you go, I get to go to church. I know I've been begging this church for a while, but I'm telling you, when you get to church, you should be able to go, I get to get to church, and I get to talk about Jesus and sing about Jesus, and I can't wait. But so many of us get to church, and just because our culture does this, we don't know any better. We just stand there like, Yeah, you don't do that. And, and then you start thinking about this, right? Like, I'm guilty of this, but I'm not, like, trying to condemn us. I'm just trying to help us think these things through. Like, you go to, like, I remember going to my first YouTube football game. Holy cow. People got these school songs memorized, and if you don't do this, you feel like you're going to get shot, like, and so, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, you know, I'll drink the Kool Aid, but I'm not from here. And, I, and so, like, I just felt like I had to do this. Like, I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Right? And then I'll talk about Aggies, and you guys will hiss me and whoop, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you got, like, that gets people more alive than we start talking about Jesus. I don't understand that. Like, even for me. But the reality is, is because we get preoccupied with so many other things that it's hard to say with complete sincerity, to live is Christ. Because a lot of times, if we were to be honest and candid, we would say, sometimes to live is money. To live is popularity. Folks, let me just be honest, this whole week, I had a hard time connecting with Jesus this whole week because I, I wasn't in a week like this. There should have been the time to be completely focused on Him, but I, I didn't realize it till last night that I've been so caught up in the thoughts of other people. What are they going to think about me? How are they going to? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to do this and this and that? And I got caught up in all of all the self thoughts. Is it really to live as Christ for me? Or in that moment, no, it was my insecurity. I was worried about popularity, how people saw me and people pleasing, all these things. Like, folks, we do this all the time. We have so many things that throw us off. And that's why Paul's like, listen, if you've been raised with him, heart reset, seek the things that are above, set your mind again on the things above, not on the things on earth. Man, because your life is hidden in him. He's everything. He's your life. Just worry about him. Everything else will find its place. Everything else will take its place. doesn't mean it's always going to be easy and everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows. No. But everything will have its place. He's the good shepherd. He leads to life. He is faithful. He is good. He is worthy. You can trust him. He died for you. He freed you. He paid the price for you. Orient your whole life on him. So just think about this for a moment. If you were to fill in this blank today, for me to live is what would be there. And I'm not doing this to guilt you. I'm not doing this to shame you. I want you to do that so you can be honest with yourself and repent and move on and do the hard reset. What is it for you? What has your affections? What has your desires? What has your imagination What has your concerns and your worries? What is it? I'm reminded of a passage Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 in his pursuit of Jesus. In Philippians 3 is this beautiful passage where Paul's like, listen, it's like, man, What I thought was gain in my life, my vocation, growth, my climbing the corporate ladder or the religious ladder, my pedigree, my economics, my status, I thought those were all gain, but until I discovered Christ, it's all garbage. What I thought was gain is nothing in comparison to the incomparable riches of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and then he, he just confesses, he's like, listen, it's like, I, I don't have it all together. I don't, I don't know it all. I don't do it right all the time. I still stumble and I fall. And I love what he says in verse 13. He's like, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. Folks, some of us right now need to let go of the past. Maybe you feel so guilty and so full of shame that, like, like we talked about last week, when you try to get near Him, like you read the Bible or you try to pray, and you're like, "God, I know I should be doing more." God, I know I haven't been good enough. God, I it's like, okay, let Him forgive you, let Him cleanse you, lay it aside, refocus, hit the reset button, and set your mind and heart on the things above, and start running forward. We believe there is more. And that value comes right out of these passages. So for you this morning, the best way to orient your life back around the gospel is to begin to practice certain disciplines, which I know is a slippery slope into legalism, but the heart is different. Get in the Word. Get to know Him. Not because you think it's going to make you better or try to get more favor with God. No, no, no. Because you love him and you want to know him and you want to understand his heart more. Start communicating with him by prayer. Pray with him. Share your requests. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares. He knows. He's near. Pray. He says if you seek and knock, right, and the door will be opened, you will be found. He will find you. It's not like this game where you're going to play hide and go seek with God. He's near. Get in community, because we need each other. One of the things that we stink as Americans is being vulnerable with each other. Listen, it's okay to be vulnerable. You all are sinners. You all have stuff. As they say in recovery groups, you're only as sick as your secret's. We are a community in love with each other to express grace and mercy to each other, to forgive each other. We need that because we live in this world where every second, almost of every day, there are things that are coming to challenge our loyalty to Jesus, right? And we need each other to hold us accountable to stay focused on Jesus. And here's the last forgotten discipline that we really struggle with is repentance. confession. The Bible says, keep producing fruit with repentance. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of action. That's the way you hit the reset button. So this morning, wherever you're at, in a time message like this, in a room like this, we're all over the place. But I trust that the Spirit of God will speak to you and guide you and let you know where are preoccupied and where your mind is set and he will give you the grace and he will give you the power to throw those aside, to put those to death and to repent and to realign yourself back with Jesus. So Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're always good and you always lead to life. We're thankful that it's not about us. It's not about our efforts. It's not about our Uh, moral behaviors and how good we are and how we behave and perform and all these things, even though those things matter, what matters most is connecting to you and setting our hearts on you and setting our minds on you. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be known as a church that can say collectively, our life is Christ. Everything about us, everything we do is Him. So, Father, I pray for us, wherever we are at, if there's things, sin issues, idols, whatever it is that is causing us to drift away from you, to not be in alignment with you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would hit that reset button in our hearts today. May we not leave here without doing this work with you. Lord, would you change our hearts right now, right now, in Jesus' name.